0: Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 15. That's Roman numeral XV. I'm your host, William Galloway. I'm very excited to be back on the podcast. It's been uh, a little longer than I've anticipated, but uh, you know, college finals, um, stuff like that, getting caught up, starting summer school, just a variety of things. But. We're back, better than ever, episode 15. I'm glad you're with us. We've got a great program with Jay Barker joining for an interview on this episode, and so... uh Let's, let's kick it over to the interview. I mean, well, why, why have any further delays? Uh, today's interview is with Jay Barker. Um, it, it's, it's fantastic. I love talking to him. He's got some great insight. We're talking college football. We're talking his college uh, football experience and especially that 1992 team uh, and what made it so special, but also previewing uh, the season for Alabama and also going around the world of college football and talking about the NFL draft. So, without further ado, I present to you, here on the Galloway Podcast, episode 15, an exclusive interview with Jay Barker, an Alabama football legend and national championship winning quarterback, Jay Barker. Jay, welcome in to the Galloway Podcast. Thank you for joining me.
1: William, great to be with you, my man, and uh, you're just doing a terrific job. I've watched a lot of your... Uh, I guess posting and things that you've done in Tuscaloosa, and um, man, I know you had a rough day yesterday, but really proud of all that you've done. And man, I'm, it's a pleasure to be on with you.
0: Well, we've got a lot to talk about and a lot to break down, and I'm excited to kind of get to discuss some Alabama football now that the school season, the school year is out of the way and football season is, uh, is the countdown is on. Uh, truly, because eight days over and spring practice is over and. Uh, everyone's got that August 31st date circled on their calendars and so uh, we'll start with the NFL draft. Uh, Jay what did you see in the NFL draft?
1: I think the, the most um, I think important thing from it was you know Kyler Murray getting picked up number one overall and the Arizona Cardinals um, you know some people may say taking a chance on a guy that I mean I still don't think he's five foot nine I, I don't know how in the world that he uh, you know was measured at that but that's what they got him at and normally that's. The best. I mean, I was listed at six three, six four at times at Alabama, and when I measured at the combine, I was six two and three quarters. So I lost about an inch from what uh, they had me at Alabama. So I thought he would be five eight, five eight and a half. And just looking at his build, but that you know, major story came out of the NFL was whether or not they would make that move. Cliff Kings, Kingsbury does it. Uh, he had predicted it, what about a year, year and a half before that, and now it's whether or not Kyler can you know, with his stature, go out there and play and and have success. And 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 he's not going to have the same success he had in college because now you got the best athletes from every school. You got the guys that can run up front just like he can, uh, linebackers and uh, defensive ends, uh, safeties and corners uh, that can come up and make plays. Um, You know he won't be as effective with his feet as he was in college, but the guy's an outstanding uh, athlete. Seems like he's a really good young man. Been raised very well, and, and really seems to have a high IQ when it comes to the game of football. So that kind of state does sticks out in my mind is probably the number one thing now Alabama getting 10 again so a 10 plus NFL guys uh, our college Alabama players drafted into the NFL the last three years just absolutely amazing what coach Saban has done the the program that he's built but also the advantage uh, of being there to get uh, go through the process and be prepared uh, to really meet the challenge of playing in the NFL and more importantly uh, to get a chance to be drafted I mean here's a guy like Josh Jacobs who didn't even have a star put to his name when he's been recruited out of high school in Oklahoma and ends up being a first-round draft pick by the uh, Oakland Raiders. So, Kyler, Quinnen, uh, Williams uh, going to the Jets. Wait, What a great story. Again, a guy that waited his turn, um, You know, stayed back and continued to work and get better, and then ends up getting drafted in the first round. Jonah Williams, who's been just excellent since he got at Alabama, and he'll play multiple positions in the NFL, kind of, one of those utility guys up front. Um, but Josh Jacobs, just a terrific story. Irv Smith Jr. going in the second round of the Vikings. And then I thought the Patriots had probably the best draft of anybody in the NFL, and they got him a good one with Damian Harris. Damian maybe didn't have, you know, quite the season um, that he wanted to have uh, at times, but at the same time, he's just such a smart player. He, he knows how to, you know, pick up the blitz. He knows how to protect the quarterback. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, and he's really that – one cut type runner. That uh, Belichick loves, so I think that's going to be a great fit for him. But Alabama getting ten players drafted is just really unreal to see what they've done just over the last not only three years but the last decade.
0: It was really cool, and you mentioned Damian Harris, uh, Jay, talking about a guy that played obviously four years at Alabama. His junior year, uh, many would argue was better than his senior year, but he had that leadership role um, in his senior year. And if and Bill Belichick loves, um, you know, he has a great relationship with Coach Saban. Loves players from Alabama. You've uh, seen guys come through that program and for that organization in New England and I think Damian Harris is going to have a significant impact there but as a as a quarterback yourself talk about uh the the Giants and they're selecting Daniel Jones from Duke at number six what did you make of that
1: yeah I mean I think a lot of people were a little bit surprised I know Haskins was even though I thought man just get over it you just got drafted in the first round you're an NFL quarterback you're gonna make a ton of money and you're going to play 30 minutes from your hometown. So really it seemed to work out even better for him. But he was just upset that Daniel Jones uh, of, of Duke ended up going in front of him in the draft, felt like he was a better quarterback. You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, time will tell. I know this much. David Cutcliffe told me, not last summer, but the summer before, Braxton was over there for a quarterback camp. And he said, see that kid right there? And he said, nobody even knew about it coming out of high school. He weighed about 170 pounds, about 6'1". He's now right at 6'4", 220. He'll probably be 230 or 240. He reminds me so much of Eli Payton, just the way that he thinks through the game. He has that mind, that mentality that you need as a quarterback. And he said he will be a first-round draft pick, a high first-round draft pick. And his prediction came true. I mean, I'm sure it helps to have Cutcliffe as your coach. I'm sure it helps to – have other people believing in you, but this is going to be a project for them. I mean, they he's close to Eli. He's worked out with them in the summertime uh, workouts and stuff um, when they'd come down to work with Cutcliffe. And so I think there's a relationship there, and I think they're building and looking toward the future with Daniel Jones more than him coming in and, and being an, uh, an immediate impact.
0: With, um, with Alabama having 10 guys go and a good number of them falling to the later rounds, but you had, obviously we had three in the first round go from um, the Crimson Tide. Who do you see who fell in the later rounds? When you look at guys like Thompson um, and Mac Wilson and Bugs going to the Steelers, who do you who do you see really having a fruitful career that kind of fell in rounds four through seven?
1: Yeah, I th- really for me, I think Mac Wilson. I think he's a great athlete. I think this is going to give him more desire to you know really prove people wrong. I think he realizes that he should have come back. I think he listened to his uncle and didn't listen to Coach Saban. And I think he let too many people get in his ear about coming out uh, after his junior season. So, you know, I think Mac Wilson has a lot to prove. He he has the athletic ability. What he needs now is to really learn how to play the position and uh, really just continue to get smarter and smarter when it comes to the game. And just the, uh, you know, the, the, the IQ of a a football player is not just how smart you are, but it's also about knowing and reacting very quickly. And and it's about the, you know, the X's and O's, the football schemes. And at times it seemed like he was lost uh, on the field Um, You know, making decisions that we'd see people move certain guys, whether it's tight ends or running backs, and he'd start communicating and then all of a sudden he was out of position. And those are things that you can't do in the NFL. They pick up on that and man, you're dead. I mean, they'll work on you every single week. So he's got to improve that part of his game and I think you will. I, I really like Mac. I think he's, like I said, a tremendous athlete think he has a real burning desire inside of him. He's the guy that will come up and just absolutely knock, knock the, uh, the snot out of you. And, and he is, uh, I think, could be a really great NFL player. He's got the, the speed and athleticism. And I say speed. He didn't test out very well, but at the same time, I'm talking about game speed. There's certain guys that really turn it up and turn it on in the game, and he's one of those guys.
0: We're talking with Jay Barker on the Galloway Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter. I'm sure you already do. At Jay Barker7, the 1992 National Championship quarterback under Gene Stallings at Alabama. Um, Jay, let's talk about you know, a little Alabama football because that's what a lot of our listeners want to, uh, to hear. Well, obviously the letdown game in January uh, against Clemson kind of puts Alabama, I wouldn't say behind uh, by any retrospect, but um, certainly behind Clemson uh, because Alabama and Clemson will be neck and neck, one and two. Um, I fully expect that this upcoming season and this fall. But uh, does losing that game really mean that Alabama is the second best team going into college football next year well, behind I Clemson? The,
1: uh, yeah, I, I think the uh, the voters will do that. I think you know there's already some Alabama fatigue, so I think you'll see that. I think Nick Saban probably welcomes it and wants to use it as a motivating factor. I think all the coaches kind of like, not being at that number one spot. I mean, and they're there enough, and they'll be back there at some point in time. I think throughout the year, um, they've got so many talented players. They lost, you know, a lot of guys as they did, you know, a year ago, and they lost ten the year before. So thirty guys have been gone over the last three years. But they'll just they'll reload. They do a great job of coaching them up. I think uh, just on the schematics of it all. I think with with Sark and what they're going to do offensively a little bit more kind of West Coast-type stuff and, you know, getting the ball down the field. I think that's really going to bode well for Tua and uh, the things that he can do. I don't think they're going to get away from the RPOs. Everybody's talked about that. He was way too good at that last year. I mean, really put pressure on the linebackers, really put pressure on the defense uh, when he's able to pull it out, whether it's running it or throwing it uh, or handing it off. It just gives him so many options. And, you know, I tell you, the guy I was impressed with this past spring was the MVP of the 8A game, and that's John Betsy John Betsy oh, my gosh. I mean, that receiver, he is a big kid. Uh, he is a competitor. Uh, he stood out. I'd go down and watch practice, and you just go, "Man, this kid looks like he's a junior senior in, in college, and he doesn't act like a, a true freshman is here for the spring. He doesn't act like um, somebody out there that's you know that hasn't been in this particular offense for a while." I really was impressed with um, how fast. And then you put him with Rugs. You put him also with uh, Devonte Smith. Uh, you know, you put him with Jerry Judy, uh, Jalen Waddle. My gosh, I mean. They're, they're, they have just a slew of no, great wide receivers. They also got Najee Harris at the running back uh, position. Also Brandon, uh, Brian Rodgers, excuse me, B-Rob, uh, just an outstanding player, the Ford kid, uh, who I think has been very impressive uh, since I saw him last summer when he first got here in one of the first scrimmages. Um, I, I told everybody, I said, watch out for this kid. And then the Trey Sanders is coming in who has told people that he's going to win the Heisman next year. We'll see what happens there. But uh, they've got a, a stable of talent. They've got you know, quarterbacks, Mac Jones, Looked really, really good in in spring practice, watching the scrimmages that he was a part of. And his last scrimmage, he didn't have a great scrimmage. The scrimmage before, he looked like he did in the 8A game, getting the ball out quick making decisive decisions and being able to move the football down the field and score points. So I think Alabama fans feel a lot better about that backup role right now at the quarterback position. And I thought Leah played good uh, And uh, to his brother. Uh, I think uh, as far as Paul Tyson, I think he's still kind of learning his way, uh, kind of getting the feel and the speed and the difference uh, from high school to uh, the college level. But uh, he's such a great kid. All of them are. And I, I think they're going to compete against each other and just make each other better each and every day.
0: It's going to be really exciting to watch and I think the word that comes to my mind when I think about Alabama in this upcoming 2019 season is firepower because you know you look at at the at the returning guys and it's it's all firepower it's speed you know you lose a couple guys on the offensive line but for the most part everyone's coming back all the skill position players and it's it's there's going to be weapons all over the field and and it's kind of like the Golden State Warriors um, when you when you look at it because there's only one ball and uh, and and who do you want to get the ball to every time depending on the defense and the read. So we will see um, and we will see how Steve Sarkisian handles that as the OC. Um, former Alabama quarterback Jalen Hurts and uh, his new next chapter next chapter I'll say at Oklahoma begins as well this fall. What are your expectations for Jalen and uh, the Oklahoma Sooners this fall?
1: Well, yeah, I know the expectations for the fans at Oklahoma is that he becomes the number one pick overall in next year's draft. They've had back-to-back, which is just uh, incredible, what Lincoln Riley has done out there. Here, here's what I know. I know that, number one, Jalen is a terrific young man. He's a hard worker. He's been that way all the way from the time he's been very young through high school, um, you know, very disciplined in the things that he does to be the best. He's a competitor, and um, I think, you know, he's riding pretty high on a lot of confidence coming off that SEC championship game, and uh you know, being able to pull Alabama, um, you know, into the playoffs and the things that he was able to do for Alabama, uh, the, the, man, that, that guy just—he won so many games and was very proud of how he represented the university and became one of the most beloved players of all time. Uh, and then is able to take off and finish up his playing career at Oklahoma. That he's going to have a ton of weapons around him. Willie, I'm telling you, um, Lincoln Riley is an outstanding office coordinator. He'll figure out a way to really fit uh, around the skill set of what Jalen can do and and really put map out his offense to be that way and help Jalen get into a rhythm in the, in, in the offense. And Jalen's become a lot better thrower. I mean, I saw it just from last year, um, just the work that he did, the things that he said he had never done before as far as different skill things, uh, fundamental work, uh, drills, that he said now that he was becoming a better thrower, and he did last year was a... Huge improvement in, in that side of it. So now take that work, now what he's going to do with Lincoln Riley. And he's also getting four or five-star receivers, freshmen that are coming in to Oklahoma from this recruiting class. He's got other great, talented receivers that are already there, running backs. Uh, I mean, they're going to be, be, be tough to beat when it comes to, uh, you know, out there whether they don't play defense uh, in the Big 12. But uh, I do think, you know, as, as they get – I see them having a chance to make the playoffs. There's no doubt in my mind. I think they'll just run through that conference uh, pretty well. I think Texas may be their biggest foe uh, out there, but I hope Jalen does well. I'm wishing nothing but the best, and I think most Alabama fans do, uh, unless it's us against him.
0: Absolutely, and I think uh, you know everyone's kind of dream matchup would would be to to see Clemson, uh, both Clemson and Oklahoma for Alabama in that playoff, and uh, somehow line it up to where Alabama can play one uh, in the first game, then the other in the second game, and just kind of let the saga continue. The the Power I Three. Um, schools in college football right now. We're talking with Jay Barker on the Galloway podcast, the 1994 SEC Player of the Year and 1994 Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award winner uh, from back in his playing days with the Crimson Tide. Jay, one team that's not a top three program in the country, uh, but historically is, is a um, a power program is Michigan and and one of my buddies Jack Pillitteri, is he always presses me to talk about Michigan um, and I feel like this would be a great topic of discussion so I'm asking you uh, Jim Harbaugh is one of the highest paid coaches in the game but he doesn't have a single playoff appearance and he just doesn't live up um, to expectations that he sets every single year what is going on in Ann Arbor and will anything change do you think?
1: Well, I think, uh, number one, I think with uh, Josh Gattis, I think he did a really good job of hiring him. I think he'll improve that offense. I think that uh, you'll see even a different uh, Shea Patterson and just the way that they use the receivers, the way that they call plays. Um, I mean, this guy's been at Penn State where they had a great offense. He went to Mississippi State where they had – um you know a, a chance to really improve that offense well put up big numbers he came to alabama look with the receivers the numbers they put up this past year so i thought that was a great hire on his part i think that you know may help him as far as you know maybe getting that uh that final playoff appearance but if he doesn't i think jim harbaugh is in trouble i really do i don't i don't think the fan base i don't think the boosters even though he played there and um you know just somebody that the people there beloved and And I think they expected him to do better than he's done. And they're giving him the resources. They're giving him uh, plenty of things that he can do in order to win and to win uh, big. And he needs to do it at Michigan. Michigan's a blue blood in college football. And they expect to be playing for championships. expect to be at least in the playoffs. And uh, that's why they hired him. They thought that he would get them uh, a chance to play for a national championship. And then once the playoff system came into effect, I think they felt for sure that they had their guys. So if he doesn't perform this year, um, I I, I do think that uh, that seat's going to get really hot.
0: It really could, and uh, it's the everyone just thinks about Harbaugh, and uh, he's taken, he's given Michigan some great opportunities. I think uh, some of their, if not all of their program, went to. I think South Africa. They've been to Rome, and you know that's good and all, but uh, you know your job's to win championships, and your job's to compete at the highest level. Which they've been, they've been knocking on the door, but they haven't broken that door down. So we will see um, what the Michigan Wolverines are able to accomplish this year. And Josh Gaddis, former. Uh, Alabama coach just this past year is is, is joining their squad as you said um, as on on staff so we'll see what happens there with the big blue uh, jumping back into the SEC talking with Jay Barker here on the Galloway podcast Jay what is one team that's kind of a dark horse in the SEC this year it's it's hard to say and use the term dark horse because every program and every team can be competitive but what's one team be it in the east be it in the west um, that you, Think could really make some noise in the SEC this year.
1: Yeah, and I was trying to think about as you're asking the question. As far as I mean, gosh, it's hard to just name one. I think there's a few. I, when I when I think about, it, I think LSU is going to be better than what people think, and I think Florida. I think what, what uh, uh, Mullen has done there and continues to do. He's building back that culture. He really understands what the Florida fans uh, want in their head coach. He's been around it as an as a office coordinator with Tim Tebow and all those guys you know, when Chris Leak was there. And look at what he's done at Mississippi State, the quarterback situation. He's doing the same thing with Felipe Franks. He's improving and getting better as a quarterback. So I like them. And, all, and I, you know, for me, Jeremy Pruitt, I, I think Jeremy, as the year went on, I thought that Tennessee team began to really buy in to all that he was doing and wanting them to do in the process. And uh, had a pretty decent recruiting class. I don't know. I just I, I think he might uh, might might have a little little different team and a different look this year after they go through the off season workouts and the things that they're going to do. I, I think he's an excellent football
0: coach. I'm really excited to see what uh, Pruitt's going to do. Just because you know he's that uh, he has he played he coached at Alabama and then you know he's he grew up coaching came through Hoover and uh, had made that high school to college to head coaching in the SEC uh, transition um, and so that's it's been a cool. Uh, He's been a great coach to follow, and I, I wish him the best of luck. And I think, yeah, he really will turn that program around. I mean, they got some staple wins when you look um, at their season last year. And so I think I agree with you and say that uh, Tennessee will make some noise, maybe not against Alabama, but uh, <laughs> definitely yeah. definitely against a lot of their opponents, especially being in the SEC East. Um, there's been a lot of talk around um, in, the, in the world of the media um, basically because there's not a whole lot going on. You know, it's, it's kind of Nick Saban's hip and, uh, and, and and everybody else in college football. But one thing that is, is constantly talked about is, uh, is Nick Saban versus Dabo Sweeney. What do you see in the two coaches, um, and how do they line up side by side? And I, I'll, I'll say this, too. Dabo Sweeney's had great success at Clemson, but it took him, I think, it was seven and a half years to win his first championship and build that program up. Um, and it took Saban three years to win his first championship. And there's been a lot of people saying Dabo is past Saban. I don't, I don't think that's the case by any means. But I think they're neck and neck right now, the best two coaches in college football. But when you look at legacy, I think Saban uh, takes the cream of the crop.
1: Uh, there's no doubt about it, and you know, look, it's kind of the Game of Thrones when it comes to college coaches and uh, Dabo and uh, Coach Saban, and it was funny hearing Coach Saban talk about the White Walkers and wanting to go recruit North, uh, and that he was even uh, watching Game of Thrones, uh, as I told somebody, makes him really hip. Uh, no pun intended or that uh, he's actually watching uh, that, that particular show. But he, he, you know, Coach Saban is definitely. I mean, look, Dabo's building his. His, um, you know, uh, what we're going to look at him and what we're going to see if him is is to come. I mean, he's he's still so young. I mean, Dad was only what forty nine, you know, almost fifty. Right. And uh, you know, Coach Saban is, you know, in his upper sixties, and I still think he's going to coach for, for for a good period of time because um, I think he absolutely loves it. But Coach Saban's got six national championships, you know, and, and Dabo, again, uh, his, you know, two have come against Alabama, which makes that rare error for a lot of coaches that, you know, don't even have a chance to beat Saban, and he's beat him in two championship games uh, to win the national title. Uh, you know, it took him seven and a half years, but building at Clemson is a lot different than building it back at Alabama. Alabama knows how to win them. Championships they've got is it's in the, the DNA, and, and that's what Dabo's done. Dabo's taken – A little bit of a uh, sample DNA from Alabama and he's gone up there and been able to implant it into Clemson and a lot of that through not just his thinking the way the coaches but his philosophy the culture and also a lot of the coaches that either played with him or coached him at Alabama and coached with him at Alabama so you know look with the success he's having we can take I I do take a lot of credit for it not myself just the University of Alabama because it's all a lot of the same It's maybe it's done a little bit differently but uh, there's a lot of Alabama uh, DNA up there and that's they call themselves the Clemson Tide. That's what they call themselves yeah. inside the, yeah. their their meeting rooms. And uh, so they, they still have a lot of uh, thoughts back towards Tuscaloosa, University of Alabama. And, um, man, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm proud of Dabo, what he's done. I'm proud of what he's accomplished. I'm proud of the man that he is, the father, the, the husband, and what he's, uh, what he's been able to do. Uh, you know, But I never want to see him beat Bama, ever. And I tell him that all the time. I mean, I want him to be successful. Absolutely, But uh, I don't want him to be winning national championships against somebody else, not us. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tough thing. But he was a great teammate. And, he, again, you know, he's early in his coaching career. He's got many, many years. We'll be talking about him for many years to come.
0: What uh, You see a lot of, of Dabo's staff uh, being retained at Clemson. You know, they, they talk about the Clemson family up there. Um, and I guess you could, you could point this out in their coaching staff, is that a lot of their coaches – um, get job offers, but for the most part, they've, they've stayed um, with him at Clemson. What, what makes him so uh, attractive to be around as, as a coach? Why do coaches want to stay coaching under him instead of taking bigger jobs elsewhere?
1: I think this, the culture that he creates with his, his team, his players, um, I would say, William, most of those guys are his are really good friends. I mean, they've been coaching together for a long time. They all believe in the same type of things, whether it's on the field or off the field. He also pays them very, very well. i never forget having a conversation with him one time and we were talking about why would coaches, their head coaches, want to just make all the money. Why would you not spread it amongst your staff and keep the best the best and pay your coordinators the highest, let them be the highest paid coordinators in the, in the country. And then pay your assistants great and, and create a, a lifestyle that, yeah, they're going to be at work and they're going to have to do a lot of stuff. Early in the week, but maybe later in the week, let them have more family time with their kids and their wife, and get them home. You know, get them out of the office. So I think that type of culture—if you're able to do that and you're able to win—and and you're not in a pressure situation, pressure cooker like at Alabama, Clemson is nothing like Alabama. Not not at all when it comes to expectations and pressure. Not at all. It may get there one day, but it's nowhere near. Yeah, you can. I can tell you, ten, fifteen guys that coach there right now that have told me that how much fun they have because it's really just the game of football where when they were at Alabama's players or coaches, that it was just that they were nervous wrecks all the time. So I think that goes into it. I think a lot of coaches get to Alabama and don't realize really how tough it is, the scrutiny that comes with it. And a year is all they can take. Two years or three years is all they can take. And also Saban works them really hard. And, um, you know, it's not about – so much, uh, um, you know, about the relational type stuff. It's more about we got to win, and we got to have the best coaching, get these guys prepared, and go win championships. It's two different philosophies, but both have worked very, very well for both coaches.
0: And I think one thing when you look at Alabama is the the coaches that have stayed with with Nick Saban um, in his. Going on his thirteenth season, um, it's it's been Burton Burns, who's now moved to an administrative role, but he's he's been with him the whole ride, and Scott Cochran. I think they've they've the two of them have got that it factor, whatever that. If if you can place your hand on whatever that it factor is, they've got it, and they've been able to sustain because um, to me. I, I can't speak for for either of the two, but I see a lot in Scott Cochran of that mentality that that Nick Saban has, um, and it's that it factor that really you know keeps him on staff instead of going to Athens and joining Kirby at Georgia um, like he had the opportunity to a couple of years ago. So I think it's really that it factor. Uh, we're talking to Jay Barker.
1: Yeah, and, and let me let me yeah real quick on oh, yeah, go uh, ahead sc- sc- Scott Cochran and Bur- Burns. Uh, Number one, Burton recruited and and brought in and developed two Heisman Trophy winners. Number one, he's an excellent football coach. Um, He he understands uh, young men, I I think, more for him. It was uh, getting to the point where he just could not, um, you know, from physical stuff, enjoy the coaching aspect of it. Scott Cochran, he is... The heart and soul of that Alabama football program and the mentality, the, the mental work that he does with the players, uh, the way that he's able to push them and get them to push past things that they never thought that they could do, whether it's through, um, you know, running or lifting or whatever else. But he does it in an old school way. In other words, like he'll be kind of yelling and getting on them. He's, but he's getting on them in a positive way. Like he's telling them, you can do it. This is you. You got, you know, it's not that, you know, demeaning type style. So it's a different approach, uh, but it's been very successful. But he's the one that spends the majority of time with these players. He's the one, him, Scott Cochran and Jeff Allen, uh, the head trainer at Alabama. I mean, those two guys are, they they would be tough to replace. I don't know if there's any two better at at their jobs than those
0: two guys. They're fantastic, and they're they're fun to, to watch um, because they're all over Alabama's social media, and uh, they have, like you said, have been the heart and soul um, and really kind of the backbone, especially uh, Jeff Allen, who gets plenty of credit, but I feel like is deserving of so much more credit because he and his staff have done a tremendous, tremendous job um, facing adversity uh, for, for over 12 years, um, and they... They get better and better each year, uh, it seems. Moving on to a couple social media questions we got uh, and, and some Instagram and some Twitter responses. Um, talking with Jay Barker here on the Galloway podcast. Um, Griffin Walker asked uh, about Todd McShay's way too early mock draft uh, for 2020. It has Tua. Um, going number one, and it's got Jerry Judy going number two. Uh, Jay, is this reasonable, and um, where do you see those two falling? Because Alabama potentially could have five to six guys going the first round next year.
1: Yeah, it's crazy the amount of talent, especially um, on the office side of the football. The the thing that you worry about going into a draft if you're a a guy that's predicted to be a first rounder. And we saw it a little bit this year. I mean, look, if you put your hand in the ground, in the dirt, uh, this past draft, you had a chance to be drafted in the first round. I mean, all the defense alignment, office alignment, defensive ends that were picked, um, and that that shifted it to a defensive-style first round, even after Kyler was picked number one overall. So, that you know, I think that's the tendency. Is like, what are the needs? Where where does the draft begin? And as one team or two teams start picking one particular position, then it makes the other ones go, "Gosh, we got to get our guy at that position. We got to get the guy on our on our board." Or is it the best player? So we'll see. I saw the exact same thing that he put out, and uh, he's got two and Jerry Judy and man, I look, both of those guys are excellent players, and if they have big seasons, yeah, I mean it could possibly happen. And and I forget the two teams, but that that's probably why it made more sense was. Uh, who would actually be picking up? Um, you know, are or, or, or we picking at that particular spot that he felt like would be there next year in his predictions? But Jerry Judy's, uh, gosh, man, unbelievable receiver.
0: Uh, John Parrish also asked on Twitter. Uh, he has two questions. He said, uh, "Did you have a favorite teammate or be it a favorite target uh, when you were quarterback at Alabama from '91 to '94?" And uh, can you name? He, he wants to put you on the spot here. So he said, "Can you name all of your offensive lines specifically from 1992?"
1: As far as the uh, the receivers, uh, the guys that, um, you know, uh, I guess David Palmer, number one, was
2: unbelievable. Right, Just an outstanding, outstanding player. Um, Just a great
1: athlete. Um, But also, Kevin Lee was a speedster. He was the guy to go down the field. Prince Wembley was a... Go to like if you got to get the, the first down. Uh, he's sure-handed, but he's also uh, a guy that can, can can make people miss and, and get open. Uh, you know, Curtis Brown. I loved him because Curtis was just his ability to run. Um, um, routes was just unbelievable you know, he, he just was just a great route runner and I could release the ball way before it, he was even near where he was going because I could read his body and just knew exactly where he would end up, um, you know, Todrick Malone also a receiver was just un- unbelievable and we had a really good uh, uh, good as far as uh, chemistry my, my senior year and I think at that time Todd was either a sophomore, I think he was a junior actually um, but uh, he and Freddie Kitchens had played in- a ball in high school together Yes, yeah, so I'm just trying to think and make sure that I'm not missing any of the guys as far as the, uh, the wide receivers and guys. But probably my favorite one I, mean, I knew I could get to was David Palmer. I mean, he always came back to the huddle. He was really quiet. I mean, David was an introvert in a, in a lot of ways. People took him wrong after games. Maybe he wouldn't sign autographs. He was really just shy and uh, wanted to go be with his family you know, and then go rest and get ready for next week. Um, but he was just one of the most amazing athletes I've ever been around. I was talking to Danny Woodson's son just the other day and I said, uh, we were talking on uh, Twitter DM and just telling him how much uh, I really just enjoy playing ball with his dad. He was the quarterback ahead of me um, my freshman year and, um, and then ended up winning that job about four games left and would start the last four games of my retro freshman year but he, he, Danny Woodson and David Palmer are probably the two best athletes that I've uh, ever been around uh, in my life. Unbelievable, but uh, just crazy. So um, as as far as, yeah, Toby Shields was my center, which, uh, man, it was just one of those guys, brilliant um, guy up front that can make a lot of calls. Uh, George Wilson, my left guard, and John Stevenson, my right guard, and also uh, John Clay played some uh, right guard. Roosevelt Patterson um, was my right tackle. And uh, so he was, um, you know, one of those guys that um, would, um, you know, have a chance to probably play in the NFL. He he was such a different build at that time than maybe some of the other guys. But he's a guy that could absolutely run. When you had him and Mark Houston out in front of those running backs on those tosses, and um, you know, to me, it was just just an amazing thing uh, to watch. So um, you know, some some really really great players up front. Man, I, I'm tell you, I was very blessed to have guys that were great competitors um and uh you know guys that worked so hard each and every week to be the best team that we could possibly be and that's what we were we were just a great team on both sides of the football and uh man that defense 92 was just unbelievable everybody's always say what's the best defense you ever played against i go the one in practice every, every day. single day in every practice every single day 1992 right was was uh, unbelievable yeah
0: uh, talking with Jay Barker here on the Galloway Podcast. A couple more questions. Um, did you? I saw a feature on ESPN back when Greg McElroy was quarterback uh, at Alabama, uh, which we're we're going, uh, I think, on nine or ten years ago now, which is which is crazy to think about. Um, but I remember seeing a, a little feature, an in-game feature of him. I think taking the offensive line out to dinner. Uh, did did you do stuff like that when you were quarterback? Did you did you ever feed all your guys, all your offensive line?
1: I did. Actually, every Thursday night we got together and I ordered pizzas and wings and we would go up in there. This was like a middle section. They called it like the study hall. And um, so th- we'd have barbers that would come in and the guys would start getting a haircut. And then we would go over to this other room and we had a, a film set up. And I got our film guys at the time. They would make us VHS cut ups of uh, first and ten. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, oh, yeah. Red zone, all that stuff. So we'd go in there and I'd, I'd take a call sheet that I'd made up and or I'd get one from the coach as well. And, and I'd make the call, Toby, we'd act like we the line scrimmage, and we'd all sit there and they would communicate, all the guys up front. Um, and it was really more for me and them and the office line, but the running backs and the receivers and all those guys were there. And, you know, some of them got into it more than others. I really just wanted my running backs and my, my tight ends and my alignment because I was more worried about protection uh, than anything else. Uh, and it was just – it was a blast. And so I would order water food every Thursday. We'd spend that time together. And, you know, it's one of those things that uh, kind of just – it brings about that camaraderie
0: that you need that team and that feeling that you're together you know that you're you're working together to
1: be uh you know the the best you can be and putting in that extra work every single week that's that's just huge
0: um two more questions first just talk about your your radio show every day on tide 1029 with uh antonio langham lars anderson carrie adams uh the on on it's called the jay barker show so just kind of tell us a little bit more about that
1: yeah, we started back on August uh, the 28th, um, and just it's been amazing ever since. We built a new studio in downtown Bermat, really downtown Homewood. Uh, when you come in and, and you dead into 280, you're looking at the AVX building, J S Berry Building's right there in front of you, uh, right there to the left at that red light. Um, our studio is the three windows on the right side of that building, and uh, looking out right at 280. And so we built a studio there, uh, state-of-the-art, best thing I've ever been, been in or been around uh, as far as studios, and now we've had a chance to so get lars anderson 20 plus years sports illustrated antonio langham everybody knows him from alabama the guy that changed uh, college football as far as the plays he made in that sec championship game um and also Kerry adams Kerry was uh, my producer um before and also was paul feinbaum's producer for about eight to ten years and has been mine for about eight years we've got a great relationship and he's really talented at what he does so we Tide 1029 is our flagship station. 949, which is in Birmingham. V949 is our Birmingham affiliate. We have an affiliate in Gaston, an affiliate in Anniston, Huntsville, Decatur, Muscle Shoals, about to be up in Montgomery. And we just added um, a st- a three stations on the Gulf Coast uh, down at Fort Walton, Deston, uh, Pensacola, and uh, also Panama City, which goes into Tallahassee. So, all the Gulf Coast, we cover Pensacola to Tallahassee. We're, we'll at some point be all the way through. I'll probably. Have we're at eight stations now. We'll be at eleven by probably the next uh, couple months, and hopefully fifteen okay. by the by before uh, football season gets started. We're going to work our way up into good. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and some other areas.
0: Very good. Well, I think yeah. I'm I'm scheduled to take uh, Lars's class in the fall, and uh, isn't he working on a new book as well?
1: He is. Uh, okay. it's, called Ch- it's called Chasing the Bear, and uh, it's going to be excellent. He had to go around and interview a bunch of guys, and and, and Tony and I were telling him uh, during one of our start during a break, during one of the shows one day, I'm like, look, and Antonio telling him over and over again, do not get this wrong. I mean, you're going to have to go and figure out and find the right people to talk to because you're going to hear that, uh, this, this, the story of coach Bryant is a moving target. Everybody has different stories and different things and different ways that it happened or different uh, relationships, uh, but if you can get it and you put it all together, it's like being in a crime scene. Everybody's got a different view of it, but this thing actually happened. It's, it's um, just
0: it's it's one story, but uh, through many lenses. That's that's right. It's like the gospels. So uh, you know,
1: to me, it's um, it's going to be a great book, and it's about Coach Saban, um, you know, chasing the bear and kind of just, and also how much they're so much alike as far as the way that they grew up and some of the circumstances in their life that happened to them. And, uh, and, and being at Alabama, I mean, I've always told people, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way towards about our university, but in Alabama, if you can put the right, if you can put a great coach in, in there with, with the program, the support, the fan base, the type of players that want to come and play, the tradition that's there, that coach that's great can become one of the greatest ever and, and create a legacy. And it happens. Every time, I mean, there's big coaches coming with losing records that have won national championships, coaches who've never coached who've been a head coach before winning SEC titles. Um, you know, Alabama's a special place. And If you find that special coach, you get that perfect marriage and that perfect storm, and uh, we definitely found it again with Coach Saban.
0: So so last question here. I saw that you tweeted the other day that your daughter Olivia has uh, a top ten song coming in at number seven on the Radio Disney Country Top 50 Um Congratulations to her. That's incredible. Tell me more about uh, what she's up to and what all your kids are up to these days.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe. You know, Sarah and I coming up um, June will be married eleven years. Hard to believe. So uh, back February twenty seventh uh, last year, the, the uh, kids became uh, Barkers. I adopted Sarah's three, so all seven now are Barkers. So they started doing this project. I said, "What are we going to name it?" And they came up with, you know, look, we're, we got adopted. Uh, you know, Daddy J's our, our dad, and we're now Barker's. Let's call it the Barker family band. And, and really, it, it meant the world to me. And, you know, when, when they told me about it, just wanted to, in a sense, pay tribute to all that and the adoption. And so they, they, they're they out doing this tour now, and they've got six tour dates they're doing. And it's, it's Avery that's playing, um, which you knew Avery from high school. And then also... Right with uh, Olivia singing, and she's 16-year-old is a 10th grader at Mountain Brook, um, and, and Sarah, and then her, uh, Sarah's brother's playing bass, her sister's doing some backup uh, on the tour, and also um, I think there's one more guitar player. But on the album, uh, Avery plays almost every instrument except set bass. Uh, he helped co-produce the album, and I think there's six or eight songs on the album that they put out. Sarah did a couple of uh, cover tunes, and Livy put out uh, two uh, songs, the one that's uh, maybe three. I know she wrote one called The View and then "XO," which was a Beyonce song that John Mayer had also done. But when that, that song came out, on the Lemonade album for Beyonce, uh, Olivia said, look, you know, if, if I ever get a chance to cut a song, if this one doesn't get to radio and it never got to radio and get play, I'm going to take this song and I'm going to make it mine. And she has, and now it went from, it debuted three weeks ago at 48, last week it was 30, and this week it's at number seven on the uh, Disney Country Charts, which is big, because, I mean, she's right two slots ahead of uh, Carrie Underwood. I mean, this isn't like kid stuff. Right,
0: this is 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 legitimate. There there are more than, there's more than one Barker voice on the radio now. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no no doubt. And and the thing about it is, um, for her, I mean, just, she's so talented. I mean, people hear the song, they'll they'll, they'll see it themselves. And Braxton is, um, you know, But but walked on as a uh, preferred walk-on last year quarterback at Alabama. He's had the best best year of his life. I mean, just absolutely loves his teammates. uh, Just thinks the world of Coach Saban and all of his coaches really likes Steve Sarkeesian and they've had some interesting conversations because Steve and I have known each other for a pretty good long, long time. We played uh, against each other in the CFL back 20 some years ago. And um, but, yeah, doing great. You know, like I said, Avery's touring with Sarah and doing all that. Uh, he's living in Nashville. Um, we've got Sarah Ashley is um, already committed to Georgia as a basketball player. But she is going to uh, be she'll be back for her senior year next year. She's got one more year at Spain Park and her twin brother, Harrison, will be uh, the starting quarterback for the Spain Park uh, football team. So excited about seeing them and also sad uh, to see them finish up. And then Audrey, our eighth grader, she's kind of the caboose, just pulling it all uh, – everybody's pulling her up, but she's – Got the most high energy. She's unbelievable. She's probably going to be an actress. Uh, she may end up being a singer too, uh, just because she's got that voice. Um, but she's an amazing dancer and uh, just you know go get her. And then uh, my oldest son, Andrew, is uh, back here in Birmingham. And he's actually uh, going to uh, community college and then he'll try to work his way back down to uh, the University of Alabama where he was his freshman year. So a uh, little update on the, the Barker household. We used to run everywhere to ballparks and go in all these different places with watch these little league games, and uh, now we've got them all over the country. So uh, really proud of what they've done. More importantly, just all their hearts, what they stand for, what they believe in, and, uh, and what they trust in. And, and to me, that's the most important thing. I've always told them that I'm more worried about their character and the type of people they are than how much money they make or the accomplishments that they have. Because if they take care of the first, then the other will take care of itself.
0: Absolutely. Well, Jay, thank you so much for for coming on uh, and, and joining the podcast. I've since I've started this, I've I've had a goal to to get you on, and uh, we, we were able to make it work. And uh, hope to talk um, in a future episode as we get closer to the season, and even in midseason as uh, as we're in that hunt. I say we. Uh, you're a former player, but I'm a student at Alabama, and so I guess we are we're in this together. We're in that hunt for that 18th national championship. But thank you so much.
1: Oh man, no problem at all. And th- Thank you. And I, I tell you, you do an excellent job as an excellent podcast, uh, podcaster. And more importantly, uh, I know the young man that you are and the family that you come from. You come from great stock, and great people, and uh, really, really proud of all that you've accomplished. And I, I told you back when you were in high school, great things are coming. And uh, this is
0: just the beginning, my man. Thank you so much to Jay Barker for joining the podcast and uh, the kind words that he had to say, and it's really cool to hear an update on his family as well. His family is always doing some cool things, so that's really neat to hear. Um, He's a very busy guy, and so really appreciate him taking the time to talk to me so you guys can kind of get an an insight um, from a national championship winning quarterback at Alabama and great man as well um, about Alabama football and and the world of sports and stuff like that. And also, like I said, it's neat to hear what's going on with his family because they're always doing something cool. So thanks again to Jay Barker. Uh, if you have any questions about the interview with Jay, you can tweet me at Jay at... Uh, W M underscore Galloway. Excuse me. You can tweet J at Jay Barker seven. I'm sure you follow him already. But in the future, if you have any questions for an interview um, with a subject that I'm going to have, please tweet me and let me know. Uh, I'd love to have input um, from the listeners about what's going on and what they want to hear Um We kind of constructed that interview today a lot uh, from Twitter-generated questions, and so thanks to those guys who reached out and asked uh, to kind of help structure this interview and hear what they wanted to hear from Jay Barker. Thanks one more time to Jay Barker. And moving on here in the Galloway podcast, we're going to discuss Alabama softball uh, briefly. We're going to look at uh, the Crimson Tide right now. They're in the SEC tournament uh, in day one. Oh, this is it's day one for them. It's day two of the tournament. But the Alabama softball team finished the regular season fifty and six. Just a remarkable finish. Um, they went an impressive eighteen and six in conference play. They finished uh, 23 and 3 at home, 15 and 3 on the road, and 12 and 0 at neutral site games. Their first SEC game, uh, SEC tournament game, is tonight. Uh, against Georgia at 8 p.m. in College Station. That tournament is at that new a uh, and facility that cost uh, just millions and millions of dollars. Really nice. Patrick Murphy was very complimentary of that facility earlier in the year before the Tide traveled to College Station. And so they're excited to play in a nice venue. And they took home the SEC regular season championship by sweeping LSU this past weekend, which was actually graduation weekend at the University of Alabama, among many other campuses, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So the Alabama softball team rolling into what is a new season this postseason, looking to claim um, a national championship, which would be their second in program history, and that first, of course, coming in 2012. So best of luck to the Alabama softball team. Congratulations to them on a spectacular uh finish really to their their regular season it was impressive it was fun to watch and uh and also they had a significant amount of girls receive all sec honors um players of the year pitchers of the year patrick murphy was actually the coach of the year and uh, we'll get this pulled up and see exactly who got who got who who got what i guess would be the right way to say that but Regardless, uh, Montana Fouts was uh, named one of the 10 finalists for the freshman of the year. Um, she was also the SEC freshman of the year. Uh, Patrick Murphy, like I said, was head coach of the year, and um, there were five All-SEC accolades. There were two freshman All-SEC, two All-Defensive honors. Junior uh, Sarah Cornell was named the Pitcher of the Year. Montana Fouts, like I said, was Freshman of the Year. Patrick Murphy was Coach of the Year, as I have mentioned. Um, If you remember back to 2014, uh, Jacqueline Traina was the Pitcher of the Year. And so Cornell takes... um, The pitcher of the year in the SEC, and that is the sixth in UA history. That was the first since Trina. And uh, Fouts is the Tide's ninth freshman of the year since Alexis Osorio in 2015. And uh, Patrick Murphy's SEC coach of the year is his fifth uh, during his tenure with the Crimson Tide. So Alabama softball racking racking up all of the uh, SEC. Accolade! So, congratulations to them. Also, the Alabama baseball team. While we're on the subject of Alabama athletics, got a big win over Troy to finish the uh, non-conference schedule this year, twelve and one. Well, excuse me, not non-conference midweek. They got all the midweek games, uh, all but one this year, finishing twelve and one, which is extremely impressive. Um, a great a great showing for the tide in, in, in all those games um, a good bit played at home but they also did some home and homes with in-state schools like Jack State um, with Troy most recently with uh, with Samford as well um, playing a lot of in-state teams playing some out out-of-state teams as well but finishing 12 and one in midweeks is very impressive currently the tide sits at 28 and 21 overall six and eight in conference play which is not great but um, They are knocking on the door to get to Hoover, and they will play this weekend versus Texas A&M in Tuscaloosa, um, a trio of a home game stand for the Alabama baseball team. They've got to get to, maybe they can get the sweep, but it's going to be tough. That Aggie team is really good. Uh, That kicks off Friday. At 6 p.m., and then the Tide will play Saturday at 2 against the Aggies, and the third game will be at 2 on Sunday as well. Looking ahead to next week for Alabama baseball, the Tide will face Samford and Tuscaloosa for midweek games, um, and so they can look to go 13-1. and in midweek so we'll see how that ends up for Alabama and then they close the SEC regular season uh, next weekend that's two weekends from now that's May 16th through the 18th in Athens, Georgia, against the Bulldogs. So that's the Alabama baseball update. And that really is it for the Galloway podcast. Uh, not a whole lot going on around Alabama athletics because school is now out. It is summertime, despite the fact I'm in summer school, but that's a story in and of itself. Please ask me about it. It's, it's been quite the experience. It's been interesting. Um, however, that's neither here nor there. Episode 15 of the Galloway podcast on this Thursday, May 9th, featured an interview with Jay Barker. Thanks again to Jay for his time and uh, all his insight on Alabama football, the NFL draft, um, college football in general, talking about Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh, um, a variety of, of players and coaches from around the league. We talked about Jalen Hurts. We um, talked about uh, an interesting question from John Parrish in social media asking if he had a favorite teammate. Um, revisit that and see what Jay had to say. That was interesting. He can't really pick favorites, but he did have favorite targets as receivers. He also listed his whole uh, 1992 offensive line as well. So once again, thanks for, to Jay Barker for coming on and having a great feature interview. really enjoyed talking to him. You can follow him on Twitter at Barker 7 You can follow me. Please tweet me with any questions, concerns, comments, whatever you have. Tweet me, let me know, at me online, uh, whatever you want to call it, at WM underscore Galloway. This is episode 15 of the Galloway podcast. We're going to be sporadic throughout the summer. I'll be working... uh, and so it'll be some podcasts will be here and there, but we'll try and get some content every every now and then. Uh, it will not be as regular as it was in the spring, which I do apologize for. Uh, but we will get try and get some good interviews set up and some good stories as we head into the fall with the approaching college football season in Alabama on that hunt for the. 18th national championship in program history, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, Late in the in the months leading up to it, I think we're 112, 113 days until kickoff, and so that is is coming faster than we know and uh, and slower than we hope, you know, slower than we wish. But uh, Alabama football is coming up. Look for podcasts. They won't, like I said, they won't be as regular, but they will be coming throughout the summer, um, just at a variety of paces. Uh, and I apologize for that in advance. But thanks again to Jay Barker. Thank you for holding on and listening all this way to the Galloway podcast. You are spectacular, and I truly, sincerely appreciate you for listening up to this point. I'm your host, William Galloway. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have the best summer Um despite the fact that you're probably working like me. I hope you have a fantastic summer, and uh, thank you for listening. This is episode 15 of the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.
2: When I met you in the summer, to my heartbeat sound, we fell in love as the leaves turn brown. And we could be together, baby.